Hello, Marvelites who are listening to This Week in Marvel, episode number 547. I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Lorraine Sink, agent of vacation. I yeah. just got back and you're getting my vacation Jason energy. <laughs> I'm very excited by that. Why is there no pool at this office? Get out of here. <laughs> This is the official Marvel podcast where we talk about what's happening this week in Marvel, whether it's games, comics, movies, TV, or whatever the heck we're excited about. And there's a lot to be excited about this week. I'm nuts for nuts, baby. Squirrel time. All squirrels, all the time. Thousands of squirrels. Squirrels, 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 squirrels. I'm very excited because this week we announced Marvel's Squirrel Girl, the unbeatable radio show audio series. And here to talk about it on the show this week is Ryan North. It's inspired by his comic series that he wrote 50 beautiful issues of. 58. Well, if you want to get technical. I do. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to be talking to him later in the show. We're going to be talking about the series. I'm very excited because I worked on this series and it's very near and dear to my heart. I think it's one of my favorite things that I've ever gotten to work on. It's certainly my favorite work of fiction that I've gotten to work on. Not counting this week in Marvel, Ryan. Yeah, this is all fictional, FYI, everybody. This is, (gasps) this is. Our friendship is fictional? (laughs) My feelings are You went down that path first. You said fictional. I thought we were friends. (laughs) F this, I'm out. (laughs) All right, well, I'm going to do this show solo from now on, except when we come back and Lorraine joins us for the conversation with Ryan North. Uh, Congratulations to you, Lorraine, on this. Super terrific. It's a ding-dang delight. I'm excited for everybody to check it out. We're going to get more into that. We'll tell you all about it a little bit later. We got to get into this trailer. This Marvel Studios Thor Love and Thunder trailer is incredible. Mm -hmm. If you have not watched it yet a million times, please go watch it on Marvel's YouTube, on Marvel.com, wherever you want. There's a really great poster that came out with it, Mm -hmm. which looks gorgeous. I like Taika, uh, director Taika YTT's post on Instagram where he said, here's the whole movie. And he just posted the trailer. (laughs) And then that last moment of the trailer, holy moly. Yeah. Living for a Jane Foster moment. Mm -hmm. Living for Valkyrie in a suit. Don't believe us. Go watch the trailer right now on Marvel.com or the Marvel YouTube channel or the Marvel social channels or wherever you get your videos. And also, if you're looking for more from Marvel Studios' Thor Love and Thunder, might I recommend a thing because there are many things inspired by the film like Funkos, some Hasbro action figures and things all of those beautiful Marvel must-haves, of course, visit marvel.com slash must-haves to check them all out. I mean, the Funkos alone are so cute. The goat boat, seeing all the characters, everything here. I can't wait for it. The the Marvel Legends Build-A-Figure, Korg, Mm -hmm. he just looks so good. There's so much to be excited about here. A lot of this stuff is going to be hitting super duper soon, too. So like Mm -hmm. the figures from Hasbro start arriving just, gosh, just in a couple days on the 26th of April. Those Lego sets at the same time. So we're getting that stuff really, really soon. Get hyped. Yeah. Legos, Funkos, Hasbros. Oh, my. (laughs) And of course, go see Marvel Studios Thor Love and Thunder, which arrives exclusively in theaters on July 8th of this year in just a few short months. Oh my God, it's so soon. Also coming up, Marvel Studios' Ms. Marvel and some key art was released. And this image is so cool. Mm -hmm. It's really bright and saturated. It feels very Kamala Khan. It's got kind of like that cool, edgy cutout vibe where they've got bright colors around them. It rules. Yeah, and there's the the little Ms. Marvel and the streetlight is just 
in the right in the middle there. It's just so cool. We're now less than 50 days away from the launch of the series because Marvel Studios, Ms. Marvel, an original series from Marvel Studios, starts streaming June 8th on Disney+. Plus. What a time. What a time. Right now, we are in the thick of Marvel Studios Moon Knight. Then we have Marvel Studios Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. The next month, we have Marvel Studios Ms. Marvel. And the next month, we have Marvel Studios Thor Love and Thunder. I mean... I mean, <laughs> it's a good time. And speaking of Marvel Studios Moon Knight Episode 4 mm -hmm. released this week on Disney+, Plus. it's a biggin'. And of course, there are Marvel must-haves on Marvel.com, new posters, lots of cool stuff about the series. Episode 4 is an epic, yeah. epic one. It's giving mummy vibes. <laughs> it's big action adventure. It's Oh, it's scary. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So all that stuff from Marvel Studios Moon Knight. Two more episodes to go in this original series, of course, only on Disney+. Plus. Lorraine, it's time to talk <laughs> about your show. Yeah, Marvel Squirrel Girl, the unbeatable radio show. I have to say, it is not just my show. Zachary, our producer here on This Week in Marvel, also worked on the series. Ellie Pyle, M.R. Daniel, Jill Taboff, Brad Barton. A lot, a lot of people work on this series. It is a six-episode original scripted audio series. It's written by Ryan North, who is going to be on the show with us in just a few minutes. He, of course, is Eisner Award-winning writer of the Unbeatable Squirrel Girl series. If you've read that series, you are going to love this podcast. If you've never read any of those comics, doesn't matter. You can still enjoy this podcast. It is written for anyone to listen to and enjoy. It was directed by Giovanna Sardelli, who's an incredible theater director, also just like a magician. We're going to talk with Ryan more about her work. She is phenomenal. It's starring Milana Weintraub, who is known for her work on Marvel Rising, the animated series as Doreen Green, a.k.a. Squirrel Girl. She's hilarious. She was also in Werewolves Within, which is yeah. a really fun movie with Sam Richardson, who's a friend of the show. Uh, just if you've not seen that, so good. Go watch that. Oh, she's so good in it, too. She's so funny. And she's phenomenal on the show. She's super funny and heartfelt. Crystal Lucas Perry plays Nancy Whitehead, another phenomenal actress. Leo Shang plays Koi Boy. David Morales plays Chipmunk Hunk. Peter Herman plays Brain Drain. Erica Schroeder plays Tippy T Squirrel. Tippy Toe. Oh my God, it's so cute. It's so very <laughs> cute. Tippy is adorable. And Tina Banco plays Rachel Oscar, who some of you guys might not know if you haven't read the comic, but is a really fun addition to the gang. And uh, there might be some surprise appearances mm. some, from some notable people. It's so great. There are so many wonderful, fun calls that come in. Some from maybe from the Marvel Universe, some maybe from the real world, some from the fictional world. They're all very fun. You can listen to the trailer right now, which features an excellent theme song by Justin Huertas and Stephen Tran with lyrics by Ryan North, who I was very excited for him writing his his first bit of lyrics, which well, was super fun. He wrote lyrics to a Squirrel Girl song in the first issue of Unbeatable Squirrel Girl. So he's he's got the chops. This is just him refining it. You know what? I think that you guys should get a little taste of that music and a little taste of the show with a trailer. Enjoy. And this was also the trailer that was released into the feed a couple days ago. So if you already listened to it, great. You get to listen to it again. It's the same thing. It's wonderful. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the show. I'm Doreen Green, a.k.a. the Unbeatable Squirrel Girl. And so far, nothing is going according to plan. Power to defeat Thanos Make crime toast from coast to coast 
way. You're the best, Nancy. So this is going to be a call-in show, and everyone's going to call in with their problems, and I'm going to help them out, and we're all going to feel great. <laughs> Hello, caller. Yeah, this is the homework cheating helpline. Oh, nuts. Yes, hello, this is the Vulture. I tell her she'll rule the day she meddled in our affair. Oh, the Scorpion wants you to know that you'll rue the day you meddled in our affairs. Caller, if you're not a supervillain, we're here to help. And if you are a supervillain, then please stop being that. That was weird, but honestly, not unusually weird for New York. Line two, friends. I want all of New York to hear what I have to say. You, uh, you are definitely calling into the wrong show, then. If you don't do exactly what I want, I'm going to steal Vandal's starry night. Wait, uh, what? Also, uh, do you mind just, um, turning that music down? No! We repeat, Van Gogh's Starry Night has been stolen from the... I am actually uh, beginning to realize that putting unbeatable in there may have been a little optimistic. <laughs> Marvel Entertainment and Sirius XM present Marvel's Squirrel Girl, the unbeatable radio show. Starring Milana Vintrube as Squirrel Girl. Hear it now everywhere. Unlock early access to episodes and bonus content by subscribing to Marvel Podcasts Unlimited on Apple Podcasts or get early access to episodes on the SXM app. Learn more at SiriusXM.com slash Squirrel Girl. Squirrel Girl, Squirrel Girl, helping everyone you know. With the Squirrel Friend Tippy-Toe. Took the words right out of my mouth, Tips. Oh, isn't it fun? You can listen to the first episode of Marvel Squirrel Girl, the unbeatable radio show. It is now available on all podcast platforms. That's right. Even if you don't have a subscription, you can listen to them right now. And if you do have a subscription to Marvel Podcast Unlimited, you can listen right now to an episode of Marvel Beyond the Scenes with stars Milana Weintraub and Crystal Lucas Perry, who play... Doreen and Nancy. So definitely go check that out. Also, the behind the scenes stuff is hosted by my pal and yours, Tamara Krinsky, who is an old friend from the red carpets and is just the sweetest human being. I love her much. So go and listen to that. And if you are in the New York City area, why not take a trip to Times Square, everyone's favorite spot, and see a big, beautiful, bright, shiny billboard of Squirrel Girl herself advertising the show. Did we ever think we'd live in a time? in which Squirrel Girl would be plastered up in Times Square. Truly, we live in a better, brighter future. Yeah, there's hope right there. That's yeah. proof. But get your butt over there quickly because the billboard is only displaying until around the 25th of April. So I hope you listen to this podcast promptly. And of course, we couldn't just stop there. We couldn't just be like, oh, a podcast, that's enough. We've also got a new vertical comic tie-in it is the Squirrel Girl Infinity comic one-shot written by Ryan North with art by Derek Charm. Also, Derek Charm is so charming. What a lovely human being. He did all of our key art and mm. all of our trailer art for the podcast as well. And I got to work with him. He's so phenomenal. Such a talented artist. Yeah. Derek did amazing work on the Unbeatable Squirrel Girl comic series for mm -hmm. the sort of like second half of its run. And it was he's so great. Of course, you can read that Infinity comic now on Marvel Unlimited. It is the exclusive Infinity Comics format, so you have to have Marvel Unlimited to read it. And if you haven't, why haven't you read it yet? It's so good. Mm -hmm. Look, 
We love the unbeatable Squirrel Girl, and we're going to give you even more because over on Marvel's pull list really soon, we're going to have Ryan North on that series talking with me and co-host Jasmine Estrada about the first arc of Unbeatable Squirrel Girl and actually also the first appearance of Squirrel Girl and, and history and stuff. So there's a little bit of crossover between our two conversations, but in really fun ways, we get a lot of really fun behind the scenes info on the Unbeatable Squirrel Girl, including stuff that like didn't make it into the series. Mm. So Ryan gives us all the Dish. Check that out on Marvel's Pull List. But this week, this week on Marvel's Pull List is a very important episode. As myself and Jasmine are joined by upcoming Captain America symbol of truth writer Tochi Anyabuchi to discuss the greatest comic book story of all time, X-Men Executioner Song. It is a conversation so important, so epic, so big, so meaningful, and 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 sort of earth-changing, really, that it stretches across two episodes. It is Okay. I need to I need to frame this with some reference. So in the old days, Ben J. Morse used to work here. He used to be on This Week in Marvel mm-hmm. with Ryan. Yeah. But for my enti- the entirety when I was but a newbie at Marvel, these two young gentlemen did nothing but wax poetic yeah. about this particular comic series. Right. If this is the episode that's been like 10, 15 years in the making. Yeah. So I get it. Ryan loves his wife and child and then Executioner's Song. Not wrong. And like, honestly, Executioner's Song fighting for first place. Yeah. I'm not into like getting buried, but like when I get cremated, they're going to put a copy of Executioner's Song in whatever. <laughs> light it on fire. Yeah. In that box with me. Light me on fire with my favorite story of all time. We're going to do it. <laughs> it's so good, y'all. I can't wait. You guys, please, everyone go check it out. I want everybody to read Executioner's Song. It's big it's ridiculous it's so much fun it is gorgeous and tochi loves it just about as much as i do which is really encouraging we also get into some captain america talk and we also give you our picks of the week which include wolverine number 20 captain america number zero and avengers number 55 oh avengers number 55 i do want to point out is a really great issue by Jason Aaron and Javier Garon. It's so good. There's a double page spread with 79 versions of Mephisto that Javier drew because he's a wild man. Took him four days to do. It is so cool. And I saw it and I was like, holy moly, we got to do something with this. So I talked with the folks on Marvel.com and said, we should talk to Javier and Jason and see like what's the behind the scenes on this. And so we have a feature up on Marvel.com about these two pages. And there's some really incredible versions of Mephisto in this. Like, I want everybody to check it out. It's a really great issue, too. It's a lot of fun. It's big Avengers action. But if nothing else, see these two pages of Avengers 55 featuring almost a hundred versions of Mephisto and just weep because it is so perfect. I gotta say, whenever artists like go out and do that stuff, the thing that you don't think about is that is like so above and beyond anything. When artists do that, they're essentially saying like, I'm gonna take four days out of my schedule to do this extra work because I'm an artist, because I'm passionate about it. Comics are on a deadline just like anything else. The research he put in Like, okay, what versions of Mephisto have we seen already in the comics that we want to take those? Because there's in in the canon right now, there's 616 versions of Mephisto. And so we've seen some before. And so he takes the ones that we've seen, plus he starts thinking about other versions that he can make inspired by other pop culture, other characters, sort of archetypes like a kaiju, a mech, some other ones that when you see it, you'll be like, I know who that one is. It's great. And Javier... 
he's such a sweetheart and he's so good. He's so friggin' good. I adore him. Comics are cool. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, you know what else is cool? Podcasts. The Women of Marvel podcast has a new season. This season is all about our women characters then and now. So hosts Angelique Rocher, Ellie Pyle, and Judy Stevens, they are all going to look at eight of our favorite characters throughout history, how they appear in different formats from games to movies to comics and beyond. And they're talking to some awesome creators, actors, game designers, historians, talking about characters like Captain Peggy Carter, Squirrel Girl, you know my favorite, Scarlet Witch, Ms. Marvel, She-Hulk, and much more with, of course, as we said, Angelique, Ellie, and Judy, our pals here at Marvel.com. We could yakety yakety yak all day about the women of Marvel, but why don't we just listen to a trailer right now? Welcome to our newest season of Women of Marvel. I'm Ellie Pyle. I'm Judy Stevens. And I'm Angelique Roche. We have a super fun season lined up for you. Yeah, you know that meme, how it started, how it's going? Yeah, like uh, then and now kind of thing. Or maybe even a glow up? Exactly. So think that, but with your favorite Marvel characters. So like how Scarlet Witch started as a villain and became an Avenger, how that went down? Totally, because no matter what decade or creator or media, our characters are always still themselves. So in this season, we're looking at how our beloved characters have stayed themselves, but evolved and adapted throughout the decades and across other media. I mean, Patsy Walker. To write the girl that I had loved so much as a little girl, to write Patsy Walker was just a dream come true. Scarlet Witch. Scarlet Witch is just this amazing beast. She's everything I want more Marvel characters to be like, to be honest. Peggy Carter. She's just been sitting there waiting for the opportunity. Like, she was made to be Captain America, maybe more so than Steve was. Squirrel Girl. She's on my vision board. <laughs> because she can kick your butt if she needs to, but it's never going to be the first choice. She-Hulk. She's joyful. She loves her mutation. She loves what she's become. She embraces it. And I think that is the core. She's super funny, too. I think that it's, she's just a character people like deeply fall in love with. Ms. Marvel and America Chavez. It's going to be so much fun. I am very excited for you all to hear these interviews. We talked to some incredibly talented creators who have written, drawn, or colored these characters, actors who have played them, along with directors, game designers, and historians. We're going to go back in time to the early stories of Marvel, to the 50s with Patsy Walker, and then to the 80s with She-Hulk. And then we're going to dig into all the ways these characters exist, from comic books to YA novels to video games to podcasts, even live theater. We can't wait to share this with all of you. Tune in for our conversations about these amazing characters. Plus, we'll be asking women around the Marvel offices about the characters they love the most. Our first episode airs Thursday, April 28th on SiriusXM, Marvel Podcasts Unlimited on Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. But you already knew where to get podcasts because you're listening to this. So just come back. Thursday, April 28th. We'll see you soon. Speaking about wonderful things, let's get into Guardians of the Galaxy Cosmic Rewind because it was announced that the Celestial Isan is going to be 
the attraction's antagonist. So cool. Obviously, Guardians of the Galaxy Cosmic Rewind is this big attraction opening at Epcot at the Walt Disney World Resort this summer, specifically May 27th. And so in the the story here, we get to learn that Isan is a celestial that's been watching Earth for eons, and he's looking to, quote-unquote, right a wrong in a big way. And the Guardians of the Galaxy, Star-Lord, Gamora, Drax, Rocket, and Groot, they come in to help save the day, but they can't do it alone. They need our help to stop Isan from doing what he's doing. There's a whole lot going on in there. There's going to be some awesome music in there. They sorted through over 100 songs, narrowing it down to six. September, Disco Inferno, Conga, Everybody Wants to Rule the World, Iran, in parentheses, so far away, One Way or Another, uh, which is a really great short playlist. Mm-hmm. That, that's like some bangers in there. I'm really excited for this because it's like what they're calling a family thrill coaster, which I think is going to be really fun. It rotates 360 degrees throughout the attraction to focus on different parts of the action. And it's going to feature a reverse launch on the coaster, which they've never done at Disney parks before. So this is going to be really, really cool for all of my family thrill coaster fans. And I want to go back to the Celestial Issa on a second because the Guardians haven't encountered him yet. We we haven't seen a ton of him, but we actually have mm-hmm. seen him before because Isan is the Celestial that was once in possession of the Power Stone, one of the six Infinity Stones. We learned about him. We saw a really quick glimpse of him in the first Guardians of the Galaxy movie. And so now to see how that connects to this is pretty cool. Everything coming around in really, really great ways. Of course, again, Guardians of the Galaxy Cosmic Rewind opens May 27th at Epcot at the Walt Disney World Resort. I need to go so soon. Oh my God, where is the vaccine for my daughter? Yes, please. Let's roll along like you'd be rolling some dice. See what I did, Lorraine? Yep, I got it. Because the Marvel Multiverse role-playing game playtest rulebook is now available physically and digitally, and it's going to give you a chance to play the game. (laughs) You got very angry there. I like it. It's super cool. You get to take on the role of Marvel's most famous superheroes, create your own, which is cool. I like having the ability to play a superhero or make your own. You can fight really great, awesome supervillains in the Marvel Universe. It's got a, like an introductory scenario, full profiles for some of Marvel's greatest superheroes. So you got Spider-Man, Captain America, Captain Marvel, Wolverine, and more. I think it's going to be fun. I'm excited for fans to start playing together. I want Lorraine. We got to get. We got. We got to do it. We got to get a, a yeah. game going. And here on the show on this week in Marvel, we're going to chat with game designer Matt Forbeck really soon. He's going to get into it. I'm sure he's a big old Marvel head. I love a tabletop RPG situation. I love an imagination game. These are so fun. Honestly, I just love this kind of gaming because you don't need to buy a fancy game system. You just need these words and rules to play the game. And so much of it is in your imagination. And it's dictated by the people that you play with. And you play games with people usually because you love them. They're your friends, your family. It's so fun. Play games. Yeah. Jeez Louise. I think we all like make up our own stories. We all think of alternate endings or what if scenarios Mm -hmm. or whatever and like this is a place to play them out in really (gasps) exciting ways the ultimate what if i love it this week we had a really cool bit of information for the marvel's avengers video game there's a new update 2.3 with some stuff that came out recently 2.4 is coming up soon but everybody get ready because 2.5 that big update is going to introduce 
the game's next playable hero, Jane Foster, the mighty Thor. Hold on to your butts. She's going to be fan-friggin-tastic. Can't wait to get into that and everybody to play as the mighty Thor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Biceps. Let's talk about some comic book stuff as well. We've got some new covers for Marvel Fortnite Zero War. There's a variant cover of number one by Epic Games Chief Creative Officer Donald Mustard, which looks really, really cool. There's a cover for issue number two by Laniel Francis Yu. The book is written by Christos Gage and Donald Mustard with art by Sergio Davila. Issue two is on sale July 13th and the series launches on June 8th. Another big launch coming up your way. Another bit of comic book news we wanted to share is we have a brand new Predator number one comic book news stories, and this is launching in July from writer Ed Brisson and artist Kev Walker. Love me some Ed. He's a sweet, sweet Canadian boy, and Kev Walker is one of my favorite artists. He is going to crush it. Some great work on Doctor Strange, Doctor Afra, Thunderbolt, so much more. The story on this one kicks off when a young girl sees her family slaughtered by a predator. Then years later, though her ship is barely holding together and food is running short, her name is Theta. Theta won't stop stalking the spaceways until the Yatja monster who killed her family is dead. Or she is. Da, 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 da. I can't wait. This is going to be really fun. I love it. We just got a little hint of issue seven and eight of Amazing Spider-Man, which are coming this summer. It has the return of Norman Osborn. And what does he have planned for Spider-Man? We're going to find out. But a lot of big stuff in terms of the status quo changes for Spider-Man coming, new costume, accessories, some really cool stuff. Maybe there's a glider in Spidey's future. Ooh, we'll see. Zeb Wells doing some really great work. The GOAT, John Romita Jr. just being amazing. The first issue of Amazing Spider-Man is a big one. One. So hold on to your butts. I think that releases next week. And then we're just getting rolling this summer. Seven and eight coming. Going to be fantastic. Also, there are Predator variant covers across a number of books, including Four Amazing Spider-Man, a rad cover by Corey Smith. So get hyped for that. Let's roll on into our interview. We've been teasing it the entire show. It is with writer Ryan North because we are celebrating the launch of Marvel Squirrel Girl, the unbeatable radio show, which everybody should be listening to already. But the unbeatable Squirrel Girl originally launched as an eight issue series in January of 2015 and then relaunched in October the same year. It lasted four more years. There was that break there because of comic book shenanigans and it wasn't like they intended it for eight issues it was just they intended it to go as long as they wanted to do it and they actually went as long as they wanted to create the comic book which is really really Mm -hmm. fun ryan north wrote the series and we talk about how the series came to be talk about its origins and and his origin as a comic book fan we chatted about coming back to the character now for the new audio fiction series alongside lorraine and the rest of the team so it's really neat This week, we've lured in a wonderful human to talk to us, Eisner Award winning, gentleman about town, just one of the best human beings on the planet, Ryan North. Hi, Ryan. Hi, Lorraine. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you so much for joining us. Of course. (laughs) I like how formal the two of you are, as if you've not been working together for the last few months. Ryan's (laughs) trying to be more well-behaved than we are. (laughs) (laughs) Pleasure to remake your acquaintance. (laughs) (laughs) So, Ryan, what is your Marvel origin story? What is the way that you met the universe, the characters, etc.? I grew up uh, in the 80s, and I grew up in a rural area of Ontario where there was no comic book stores, and the internet 
was not yet a thing. And so my first experience with comic books was as an adult, I graduated high school. I got a, a job in a car with my first paycheck. I went into the big city of Ottawa and walked into a comic book store and just picked books at random. And I knew I liked the medium and I had a vague idea that I liked some of the characters. And so I just explored it that way. And I remember like two years later, I bought this uh, Spider-Man <laughs> baseball. I don't know what they call it, like a baseball jacket. Like you wear it if you're an umpire. I don't know. I want something Spider-Man. Uh, this was a cool piece of merchandise. You, you got like one of those things that looks like a waffle that sits on your chest a chest protector no it was like a like a like a like jacket, a satin jacket like a baseball jacket but it's what you'd wear when you're playing the game of baseball i've barely played baseball i can't tell you what this garment so a jacket. was yeah but you'd only wear it for baseball like you wouldn't <laughs> that doesn't exist yes you know like sports guys are always cosplaying their favorite team member and they wear like a baseball jacket a jersey is that the term oh you mean like oh, a, a shirt but like a vest a it's like a, a jersey vest for baseball fans said it was it was for spider-man a spider-man played baseball look it was a weird piece of 90s merchandise that i bought and wore i don't know how to explain it please someone f look this up and prove that i'm not crazy it was a jacket that was a vest that was heavy that was baseball themed that had spider-man's head on it I was maybe the only one who could see it, but I wore it. <laughs> Multiple things going on in my head right now. I love the idea of like 18, 19 year old you going into a comic book shop and like, I would like five of your finest comic books, sir yeah. or madam. Here are five loonies. Please give them to me. That was uh, basically exactly it, except I relied on myself because I obviously am not going to talk to a stranger. And so I browsed the store and just picked out books that interested me. And it's funny because this is like walking into a bookstore and just picking books at random based off the cover. And they weren't all good, obviously, but the ones that were good were great. And it was this sort of education in the medium all through university and grad school where I was just absorbing it and, and reading what I could. And yeah, it was wonderful. I wish I could go back to that time of just like, there's a whole new world that you find. I feel like you must have been making comics like 15 minutes later because <laughs> like I used to read dinosaur. I mm -hmm. feel like dinosaur comics have been around forever. Since 2003. Yeah. yeah so, so literally was basically five minutes later, <laughs> you were up and making your own comics. I mean, to be fair, it was more like three years later. And in those three years, I was reading, reading comics and I was reading a ton of, of indie comics where it was one person writing, drawing, inking, everything. And I really wanted to make my own comic and couldn't draw and didn't want to learn. <laughs> and so I came up with this, this trick for dinosaur comics, which is the same clip art. I change the words every day. And this was largely because I had somehow missed that comic writer was a job that you could do <laughs> because I didn't know any. There weren't any role models in the media of comic writers besides like comic strips and they also drew them. And so I kind of took the really long way round towards writing comics. I did Dicer comics for 10 years until one of the readers of the comics uh, grew up and got a job at a comic book company and hired me to write a comic book for them. And that was Shannon Waters for the Adventure Time comic. And that led to Will Moss reading that comic at Marvel and saying, hey, give us a pitch for Squirrel Girl, which smoothly segues into <laughs> Squirrel Girl. But there's a direct line between me doing these clip art dinosaurs on the internet in 2003 and Squirrel Girl showing up in 2015. 
I had a girlfriend in that time period who she wasn't huge into comic books, but she loved dinosaur comics. Like she introduced me to dinosaur really? comics in the day. Well, she sounds and great. She just <laughs> and like I was me doing whatever dumb thing I was doing, being you know a twenty two year old. But like like I got hooked on it back then. So yeah, I love the way all these things intersect and come together and and find audiences and the way people will come to these characters and these creators such as yourself. So it's real neat. Yeah. It's something I, I tell people like, what's your advice for people starting out? And I was like, well, you know, all my advice is out of date because I started out 20 years ago. But one of the things that still holds true is that when you do want to work in comics or anything creative, it's to not wait for permission for them to tell you it's okay and hire you and pay you, but to just do it and do something that that's creative and put it online where people can see it because that's led to everything good in my career. <laughs> and I often think like if I had not done that, if I thought, no, I need to practice my craft and be perfect before I do anything, then I would be this crazy person, right? Who is doing these dinosaur comics, but not sharing them. And instead of this being this beautiful creative thing, it's me just wallpapering walls with different versions of the same six panels for 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> and that's something a crazy person would do. And it's nice because when you're sharing your work online, yes, you're getting better at your craft just by doing it. But you're also, I didn't realize this till afterwards, I was stealth showing people that, you know, I can meet a deadline, especially a self-imposed deadline. And this is the kind of stuff that I think is funny. And these are the kind of stories I'm interested in. And all of this just comes from doing work and sharing it where people can read it. Before you were talking a little bit about how obviously Dinosaur Comics directly linked you into Squirrel Girl, I think that that run was so defining for that character in such a huge way. Really important run to fans. What was it like being a part of that run, kicking off with Erica Henderson and obviously winning an Eisner or 10? I don't know how many. <laughs> <laughs> Let's say 10 and no one look into this. <laughs> no, it was it was great. It started with Will emailing me and saying, you know, hypothetically, if you had a pitch for Squirrel Girl, what would that look like? And I took the weekend and I read everything I could about Squirrel Girl, which was not a ton. She hadn't made a lot of appearances. And by the end of the weekend, I knew that I really wanted there to be a Squirrel Girl comic and I really wanted to be the guy writing it. And so I sent in this pitch of she'll go up and she'll fight Galactus and it's going to be so cool and please let me do it. <laughs> and Will wrote back saying, you know, this is a great pitch, but uh, like... Are there other people in this comic besides Squirrel Girl? Does she have a supporting cast? Like, does she have any friends? What does her world look like? And I was like, oh, right, of course, yes, this is something a professional writer would do. <laughs> and so I that's where Nancy Whitehead came from, who I love, and, and Koi Boy and Chipmunk Hunk, and eventually Brain Drain and Craven the Hunter were folded in. All this stuff comes from just building out her world. And while I was trying to do that and figure out who Squirrel Girl is, I had this sketch that Will had sent me the Erica Henderson's earliest designs for the character. And it was this great sort of, I didn't even know Erica yet then. We're great friends now, but at the time she was a complete stranger. But the personality and the life she put into these sketches of Doreen was so much that when I was stuck, I could look at this picture and say like, well, what would that character do? And it made it so much easier to, to figure out that initial version of Doreen. And I'll also say that one thing that's come to define her is the way she looks for these lateral solutions where she'll empathize with people and try to solve their problems and not instantly go to, if I punch this person enough, he'll stop doing crimes, <laughs> which is the standard superhero gestalt they operate in. And I'd love to take the credit for it because it's been so defining for her, but that came from editor Will Moss where on my first version, the first issue, she fights Craven, And in the final version, 
she imagines sticking squirrels down his pants to stop him and then initially works on solving his actual issue and the thing that's frustrating him but in that first draft she actually just did the squirrels down the pants thing and i sent that in and will wrote back like this is great but you know i always saw doreen as someone who would help people with their problems and it was like reading the teacher's key at the back of a textbook and i was like yes of course that's perfect burn this draft never show anyone that <laughs> never speak of an existence they're gonna send you something better and instantly it was like that was a missing piece of doreen and now she's fully formed and now i can write this character for five years because i i get her in a way that it hadn't quite clicked before so erica was already working on sketches and, and designs and and on the book when will came to you yeah he told us later that he sort of cast us both, wanted us both, didn't tell either of us about the other, but just like, here's Erica's drawing, Ryan, here's your stuff. And there was some point where I had the sensation that this book was going to happen. And I emailed Erica. I found your email and said, hey, Erica, guess we're doing a book together. And she was like, hey, yeah, I guess we are. <laughs> <laughs> and we we very quickly became friends. It was the same with with Derek Charm, who picked up for Erica after, after she left the book in issue 31. It was this crazy thing where I started thinking, is this how it normally goes? Like, can I just use Marvel as this friendship dating service where I'll just <laughs> get them to hook me up with these artists and then I'll have this new create, not just creative collaborator and creative partner, but like a friend that I'll want to have come over to my house and we'll go do escape rooms together and all this, this fun stuff that comes. And I think that shows in the book, uh, the fact that we do become so close and so trusting of each other, you can see that in the risks that both of us are willing to take where, you know, I'll, I'll do an issue like issue 31, Erica's last one that is so emotional and fully relies on her being able to sell visually the relationship of these two characters across 50 years <laughs> in 20 pages. And then when Derek Charm came on, I was like, all right, so we're going to do an issue without any dialogue. So it's all facial expressions. You'll be telling the story. And I would not toss that to an artist that I didn't innately believe in and trust. And uh, the word I was going for was love. And I think I'll say it. <laughs> They're both great. <laughs> I'm such a big fan of both of their work. And I'm really excited, actually, because we have a music video coming for Marvel Squirrel Girl, the unbeatable radio show. That theme song is so good. It's so good. People are going to lose their minds. <laughs> but Derek did the art for the music video. That theme song was wild because I wrote the lyrics for it before we had any music. Mm -hmm. And then the music came in and it's so good. And I will tell you, I really wanted to make it my ringtone. But then I looked at the NDA I signed and that would be against the NDA because I'd be performing publicly something from this <laughs> podcast. It wasn't even announced yet. So I haven't. But once this is out, I look forward to making it my ringtone. Do laws apply in Canada? You decide. Um, <laughs> okay, maybe not. Maybe not. I just see myself that my phone rings and there's some like Canadian Marvel executive nearby. He's like, wait a minute. I think I called you about the podcast, didn't I? Isn't that true? You emailed me. You yeah. sent me the world's most enticing email. And this was in the depths of the pandemic where you're like, hey, Ryan, how's it going? Say, hypothetically, <laughs> would you have any interest in uh, writing something for Squirrel Girl? And I wrote back something to the effects of, Lorraine, you write an enticing email. Tell me more. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad you said yes, because we had no plan B. Um <laughs> <laughs> 
tell us a little bit about, I feel weird asking you this question because obviously I know a lot about the show because we worked on it you know the answers, together, yeah. but I don't know how you, your lived experience, Ryan. <laughs> so I wrote you an enticing email. I think we hopped on the phone and we chatted a bit about like, hey, we're doing this podcast. Obviously you are the definitive voice of Squirrel Girl and we would love for you to be a part of it. And so much of, you know, what the original pitch was was so based on your work. But we basically were like, Squirrel Girl radio show, and go. <laughs> Where did you take the story from there? Yeah, actually, I loved that you came with this idea because it wasn't like, hey, Rami, want to do a Squirrel Girl series, so figure it out. It was, hey, Rami, have this idea for a Squirrel Girl doing a Colin show, and what kind of shape could that take? And the thing that excited me the most is that the comics I write can tend to be uh, dialogue heavy, which can be a weakness because you're covering up the art with word balloons. But in radio format, in a podcast format, dialogue is all you've got. So I was like, yes, this, <laughs> this plays to my strengths. But also I liked, like, I think the first thing I wrote back was, let's make it entirely diegetic. So it's as if we're tuning in to an alternate universe where this is her radio show and we're hearing exactly what people in the Marvel universe would hear. And that struck me as something that would be a fun conceit, a fun concept, but also a way to make it feel real. So we're getting we're getting the warts and all of Doreen and Nancy figuring out live how to do this student radio thing. And I had to, I have one hour of student radio experience in my life where a friend of mine had a radio show or worked at the volunteer at the student radio station in Ottawa, C or Toronto, CIUT, Toronto Student Radio. And some guy didn't show up. And she called me and said, Ryan, if you can be here in 15 minutes, you can have an hour of radio <laughs> to do whatever you want with. And I was like, I'm there. And I rushed down and played some music that I enjoyed and, you know, riffed between songs and just loved sort of the dizzying sense of power that you're talking to a city and you don't know who's listening and you're kind of all alone there in the booth and things can go well or things can go horrible, but you need to fill that hour. And so it's that sense of controlled chaos that is where I started with, with the concept of the show. Just people don't know what they're doing. They're out of their depth, but they're going to do a good job. They're having a lot of fun with it. That makes for such entertaining stuff though. I mean, Lorraine and I have had to do lots of that kind of stuff. I mean, that's, that's our freaking careers here on these podcasts. <laughs> yes, and stuff. Like, let's just talk some snack for an hour and see what happens. And it, it all works out. I want to backtrack a little bit because in my head, Unbeatable Squirrel Girl ended 12 years ago. And it feels so long ago since I've had the comic in my life. And it was, it's such a, mm -hmm. it's one of my favorite books. I've spoken vociferously on every show I've been on that we had an issue and I, I adore the series. I can't wait to introduce it to my daughter. She's two and a half now. And like when she can, oh, that's so I mean, she can finally read this. It's just going to be super duper fun. And so I was looking up to see exactly when it ended and it was November 13th, 2019 was the release date of issue 50. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's not very long ago. And you mentioned that Lorraine emailed you during the pandemic. Can you give me the timeline from when you wrote that last issue of Unbeatable Squirrel Girl to when you started getting into talks about the series, the podcast? Yeah, I mean, the past is a foreign country. And <laughs> <laughs> it's weird, pandemic right? Like, is it's just very flexible, very strange. Yeah. So my recollection is the book ended, the last issue comes out. 
and everything's fine. And then a few months later, it's the middle of March, 2020, and pandemic happens, seen missing, <laughs> email from Lorraine. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure I was doing stuff and living my life in there. But what I, I'll tell you what, what I liked most about it is the whole run of Squirrel Girl was special for me. And I think in general that we got to have such a consistent creative team on the book for so long. And issue 50, it was a conclusion that we got to do and bring this comic in for a landing for the last arc and do this final concluding arc. So it felt very final and like saying goodbye. And I had this unusual sense because I don't have any children, but I had this very distinct sensation of sending my kid off to school for the first time where I had done my best with her to teach her what I could. And now she would be in somebody else's custody charge for a while. And all I could do was sit back and watch. It felt very conclusive. And I feel like if Lorraine said, hey, we're doing a new Marvel comic book, do you want to write it? There would have been more hesitation there because I felt like I had put Doreen as best I could in comics. But doing this, this radio show with her, it felt like something different. And it felt like this fun opportunity where it would pick up where the comics left off, which would be great for the comics readers. But it would also, if this is your first time with with Doreen, it would be totally accessible for that. So it felt like this nice on-ramp for her. And I really couldn't resist the chance to hang out with these characters some more and and tell this other story with them in this this different context. So I, I love that it it picks up where the comics finish, but also it's this this new thing and it feels like kind of a breath of, of fresh air just because the format is is so different than than the famously silent medium of print. (laughs) Well, you know, something that I really loved about getting to be a a part of it, working on it with you, is, you know, I've read your comics, obviously, for the last however many years they've been around, and all of those characters' voices exist inside my head, and I have an idea of who they are and what they sound like, and then we get to really meet them in, like, full voice characterization, and it brings, like, such a different sort of life to the characters in such a new way. What was it like going on to take her cast of characters and Squirrel Girl herself and start writing dialogue for them to be voiced and exploring their characters a little bit in this new landscape? The thing that surprised me and in retrospect shouldn't have was how much the actors doing these roles became the characters in my head. And like, I have had Doreen and Nancy in my head for five years. And I thought I knew what they sounded like. But now when I think of of Doreen, I'm thinking of Milana Weintraub's rendition of her. And when I hear Nancy, I hear Crystal Lucas Perry doing the voice in my head. Like she became Nancy so quickly and so definitively that it instantly copied over these other versions of the characters. If I even had a voice that wasn't just my own, they become these characters so much that there are these definitive versions. And, you know, maybe you think the guys who are writing these characters for five years wouldn't have that happen because you'd be like, oh, well, you know, Doreen wouldn't say it that way. Nancy wouldn't say it that way. Chip on Conquer, Brain Drain or Coy Boy wouldn't say it this way. But they became them so completely <laughs> that they they really did. And so that the second, the first session we had, it was kind of a revelation. The first, the first thirty seconds were mortifying because it turns out it's super embarrassing to hear 
anyone read words you wrote while you're there <laughs> looking at them and they're looking at you. And But once you get past that, which is very quick, what helped for me was that, and I guess in retrospect, it should have been obvious that these are really talented actors. And so they're taking what's on the page and making it better than what I wrote. <laughs> so any embarrassment becomes impressed that, oh, wow, this line sounds great, better than I had thought. <laughs> they're, they're finding nuances here and deliveries that I didn't see. And it just became this, this thrill of watching people elevate your work, which I mean, I love the same thing with comics. It's I send in a script and then I get the pencils back from Erica or from Derek and they've elevated what I wrote and drawn something that's better than what I imagined. So it shouldn't have been a surprise that actors would do the same thing <laughs> and make your script better than it is. Was there any like brain change for you in writing for these characters in a different medium and like the way just characters have a little bit more room to breathe as they're, you know, speaking these lines out loud. Did you change anything in the way you wrote for them or approached their cadence or, or is it just like, these are who these characters are and these are, this is how it goes. You just get a little bit more runway. Yeah. In print, I use a lot of, I rely on punctuation a lot to get across how something's delivered and what the, what the cadence is. And in a script, it's kind of tricky to show people interrupting each other because you're not really clear where they're interrupting in the script, but the actors just, just nailed it. I will say that there is a recurring cameo of this character, Eric, calling up for his friend Charles during the show. And that bit relies on Eric being a particular flavor of Eric. And I thought, you know, I was worried there'd be these notes I'd have to give or I'd have to do my own impression, which, which I read, I researched, and that's bad. You're not supposed to tell actors how to do it. You're supposed to give them notes to lead them there. But it was just like, got it in one. And it's one of my favorite bits in the entire podcast. All tied for first, I think. But the way Rob Nagel does his Eric voice is exactly what was in my head it is and ends up being so funny so good it is so good charles charles um <laughs> no we should kind of go back to the beginning a little bit on the series um so for anyone who hasn't seen the trailer yet doesn't know the full conceit can you talk us through where we kind of kick off in the series and who the cast of characters we meet are as the main group Sure. So Doreen Green, a.k.a. Squirrel Girl, has just had her secret identity revealed publicly. And she's trying to sort of grapple with that. What does this mean? How can I best help the world? And she's kind of realized that she can do this thing both as Doreen Green and Squirrel Girl. And if one of the things she does is help people by empathizing and figuring out their problems, what better way to do that at a larger scale than a call-in show where she can give superhero advice? So she and her best friend, Nancy, do this radio show with her her squirrel friend, Tippy Toe, the actual squirrel who does not speak English and makes squirrel noises <laughs> throughout the entire podcast. And she also has joining her, her friends, Chipmunk Hunk and Koi Boy, who are there to help, and uh, Brain Drain, the brain in a jar and a robot body philosophy student. And they're basically just trying to help people through this call-in show and very quickly discover that super villains are calling up and messing with them and <laughs> people are calling up with irrelevant questions or trying to cheat on their homework and it's not going as smoothly as she thought but very quickly they end up getting this rival who is trying to mess with them and eventually destroy them so it, it starts getting very real <laughs> man i love this show so much and i have to say getting to hear brain drain 
is just one of life's true great joys because <laughs> he's so good. Peter Herman, who plays Brain Drain, is so very sort of Werner Herzog-esque. It is mm -hmm. chef's kiss. <laughs> and what I love about Brain Drain, both Peter's rendition and his role in the comic, is that none of this should work, right? <laughs> like Doreen is this cheerful, fun, friendly, loving young woman. And Brain Drain is this brain in a jar that's just dour and talking about you know, staring into the abyss and the bleakness of life and the futility of hope. But they like each other and they they change each other and Brain Drain becomes this cheerful nihilist, which <laughs> is just like you don't normally have an all ages comic series or an all ages podcast where you have this character talking about, you know, the end of the universe and the futility of anything in a universe that will eventually encounter this heat death <laughs> where nothing will move. But <laughs> He clicks together so well, and Peter's delivery of him is just great. Like, I, Lorraine, you were there in the recording sessions where we would be muted because we'd be laughing. And I know the jokes. I wrote the jokes. Like, I see these punchlines <laughs> coming, but I'm still laughing because the delivery is so surprising and, and effective. Heck yeah. Because of the nature of it, you've got these call-ins and you've got this cast of characters. Obviously, it's it's this wonderful scripted thing. Were you riffing at all? Like as you're hearing these actors voice these characters and them come to life, are you in the room being like, what if what about this? Or the actors coming up and like improving a little bit? Was there some room to play at all? Yeah, there were there was a definite improv in the room. And they didn't need me for that. Like these people are talented improvisers. <laughs> I could just be like, Yeah, that is a good line. Wish I thought of it. <laughs> The main thing that changed, because the scripts were all written by the time we went to record, because we're professionals. I don't know why I put such an edge on that. I have no beef with wow. <laughs> take no that history. other podcast. <laughs> yeah, take that other podcast. Maybe do this. I don't know. It's how normal it is. It's my first podcast. But one thing that did change is I remember the finale, which ended up being really great. My first draft of it was not great. And it was a sadder, like Doreen felt like she was defeated. And I had a call. I think you were on the call, Lorraine. And everyone was very nice, but they were like, Ryan, you know, I think the, the delicate way you put it was, what would you change about this script if you could? <laughs> and I was like, no, honestly, like what I would like to do is I wanted to go big and I wanted to do stuff that I knew would be expensive to do on the radio. And Lorraine and everyone else said, go for it. Like, Go we were big. like, yeah, do that. Yeah. that, that Imagine rules. you have infinite budget and do it. And I was like, okay. And then I did. And they're like, this is great. We'll, we'll find a way to make it happen. And it was this, this thing where I put myself in a box. I thought we can't do this because it'll be hard. And I was underselling the rest of the team who was like, yeah, you know, this is odd. We'll find it. We'll figure it out. Like, give us, give us the best stuff. Don't worry about how possible it is. We'll, we're, we're the ones who have to make it possible. And then that's the script we recorded. All the big stuff got in there. So I was really, really pleased with that. And that episode rules. It's so good. And I will say, um, stick around at the end of the final episode. There's a little post-credit scene. Yes, there is. <laughs> I forgot about it until you just said it. Yeah, it's so good. Are there any other callers we can tease or, or talk about here, uh, you know, get people enticed? Let's sell them on this this original podcast series. Yeah. So I don't want to give too much away, but I will say that members from Doreen's supporting cast call in, including one rich man who made himself a suit out of a certain type of metal that he uses to fight crime. And there's also calls from a other man in Doreen's supporting cast who 
was bit by a type of animal that gave him the proportional speed and strength of that animal. <laughs> I think it's on the actual key art, so it's probably okay to say Okay, that yeah, Spider-Man and Iron Man are in this. It's great. <laughs> Man, we got to have some really great guests. Well, we also, we have celebrity guests. What was oh, it like yes. writing for some of our celebrity call-ins? Oh my gosh. I guess I don't, I can't spoil who the celebrities are, but it was so so fun and so scary because these people are also celebrities to me like i i love these professionals in whatever field they are in that won't be revealed some of them i've loved their work since i was a child and honestly one of the greatest uh, professional moments was we were in the room with a celebrity that won't be named that i've loved since i was a kid and he just in a quick aside said this is a good script and I was like, oh, my God, <laughs> this person who I love parasocially said I did good work. And I just like that carried me through most of the pandemic. And it was it was just a small moment of kindness. And he may he may say that to everyone. I don't know. Maybe that's just professional courtesy, but I don't want to know. He said it was good. And the celebrity I liked said I did a good job. So it's just that, that level of like niceness. I fully understand that feeling. And I, I know, Lorraine, it probably happened to you as well. It's like the times we were able to do stuff with Stan Lee. And, mm -hmm. and like, you know, we would stop rolling and be like, boy, that was a good interview. And it was just like, <laughs> it was like, oh, I I miss my grandpa. And yeah, thank you praise, for that, yeah. Stan. It, can I can I tell you my one Stan Lee story? My one interaction yes. with Stan Lee? It was at San Diego Comic-Con. And the night before, uh, we had won an Eisner for Squirrel Girl. And so I was doing an interview on the floor in San Diego, which you're not supposed to do. You're not supposed to block the floor for an interview. But I was like, we'll be quick. We'll be quick. Let's just do it. And so I'm talking to the camera, talking about Squirrel Girl. And out of the corner of my eye, I see this figure approaching me. And I'm like, he's going to walk, ruin this take. He's going to walk right in front of it. And I try to keep talking. And I'm talking about Squirrel Girl. And this guy's just coming towards me. And I finally glance. And it's Stan Lee with a bodyguard on each side. And he walks, ruins the take, walks on the camera and goes, how you doing? And just walks quiet right in front. I was like, all right. The camera, of course, follows Stanley. It's Stanley. And I was like, wow, Stanley just cameoed in this interview. <laughs> I got my own real life Stanley cameo. You're part and of the MCU like, now. Yeah, exactly. And my friend's like, that's what, you know, uh, Stanley just got a Ryan North cameo in his life. <laughs> but yeah, he said, how you doing? Ruin the take. And that was my Stanley cameo. <laughs> I was like, I just want an answer for Squirrel Girl. <laughs> <laughs> I know Giovanna Sardelli, the director, was, you know, she Amazing. was involved in our in our drafts and things. But what was it like getting to work with her and watching, honestly, witness her magic? Didn't you think it was magic? I thought she was the most magical director. I was sending her DMs after the first, like all of them being like, I can't, I'm, I'm reading myself, but I can't believe you how you do this. <laughs> she did a thing, which I guess all the best directors do, where she would direct the actors to performances, but would never say anything bad. She wouldn't say, that was bad, do this instead. She somehow, through only support and only gratitude and praise, shifted performances to what she was looking for and, and sort of collaborated with the actors to bring that. I felt like I was watching like a, a master paint or something where I was like, I don't have this skill. I don't know how to deliver bad news in a way that makes it sound like good news and everyone goes away happy. But <laughs> she was doing this repeatedly, reliably, consistently. And it made the recording place such a, like a, a safe, supportive environment where you could try anything and you'd never 
be worried about someone saying that was bad. Do this instead. It'd be like, I can't even do it because my impression would be like, that was interesting, but that there's a there's a hint of negativity there. But she could do it without any negativity. It just made it this this supportive place to play. Like these are, mm-hmm. it made me realize why they're called plays. These are a bunch of people getting together and playing and becoming these characters and having fun and and riffing and seeing the directions they could go in. And it was just this super welcoming environment. I loved, I tried to listen in to every chance I could just to be in the room and be around these people, these great creative people in this environment of just safe exploration. It was wonderful. You mentioned a little bit there's there's some antagonist business going on in the series. Are there any fun clues or hints you want to direct listeners to 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 think about the mystery going on throughout the series? Yeah, uh, so there is a mystery. There is a caller who's starting to mess with them. <laughs> and this is my first time writing a mystery like that. Mm. And the hard thing I discovered with writing a mystery is that you know all the answers, but you're doling out the clues. And you want to do it in such a way that someone going in cold can, in retrospect, see, oh, of course, that's who it was. The clues were all there all along. But you don't want to make it so obvious that they say, oh, it's this person. And then they they have it. So that was one of the things that the, the third and fourth drafts were for, was massaging these clues. And I am terrified of speaking about it and giving away a clue that gives away the whole game. <laughs> <laughs> But I will say that that I feel confident because uh, Will Ma, Squirrel Girl editor, has listened to the podcast and he, I asked him to send me what, who he thought the villain, the real identity of the villain was after every episode. And he did not get it right once, which I thought was great. (laughs) That's great news. (laughs) Before we let you go, can you tell us how to take over the world? Uh, Yes. Smooth segue, Ryan. I, I recently wrote a book of nonfiction called How to Take Over the World. Practical schemes and scientific solutions for the aspiring supervillain, and it's it's to me taking a lot of the fun I had writing Marvel comics, and trying to figure out the actual science behind supervillain schemes, like digging a hole to the Earth's core to hold it hostage, or riding around on dinosaurs, or having a secret base on the moon, and using that as a lens to discover how plausible they are and the fun science and technology behind that. So there's a little bit of Squirrel Girl in that book. In fact, she gets a shout out by name in the introduction as an example of a good hero. And I think if you liked anything I've done, you should definitely like this new book I've written that you can find out more at supervillainbook.com. So smooth. (laughs) (laughs) And of course, listen to Marvel Squirrel Girl, the unbeatable radio show, read the Squirrel Girl Infinity comic, Follow Ryan wherever he might go. And call into the radio show because the phone number actually works. It's 1-646-647-3243. And you actually get to hear from Doreen and Nancy and Tippy. Oh, thank you so much, Ryan. Thanks, Ryan. This was really great. The first episode of Marvel Squirrel Girl, the unbeatable radio show, is now available on all podcast platforms. As soon as you turn off this podcast, go turn on that one if you have not listened to it yet. Listen to it 800 times, at least. Just leave it on play. No one will judge you. And of course, fans can also get early access to next week's episode starting today via the SXM app or by subscribing to Marvel Podcasts Unlimited on Apple Podcasts, which also has exclusive 
bonus content, which we mentioned earlier with our pal Tamara Krinsky. Go check that out as well, especially if you're already subscribed. Why wouldn't you? And of course, future episodes will be available exclusively on the SXM app and Marvel Podcasts Unlimited one week before being available widely on Pandora, Stitcher, and all other major podcast platforms in the U.S. Learn more at marvel.com slash squirrel girl podcasts. All right. So it is time for the question of the week because next week we have a really fun one. We are celebrating 20 years of Marvel Legends with our friends Ryan Ting and Dwight Stahl of Hasbro and the Marvel Legends team and Jesse Falcon from Disney Consumer Products and also like one of the creators of Marvel Legends. Uh, So it's going to be a big, fun episode. And it's fortuitous timing that we're going to have them on the show next week because this week there were a whole bunch of friggin' new toys. We talked a little bit about some of the cool stuff coming inspired by Marvel Studios Thor, Love and Thunder, the Build-A-Figure wave and stuff. But there was a live stream that the Hasbro Pulse team did, including some of our pals who will be on the show next week. Uh, They had the first official in-hand look at that movie wave. They look so good. But they also showed off a bunch of new six-inch figures like Toad, which is the last of the Marvel Legends 20th anniversary subseries. There are a whole bunch of Spider-Man figures, right, Lorraine? Yeah. A couple of these we got to debut at our 60th anniversary, like the Silk and Doc Ock two-pack that's coming. But there's also Amazing Fantasy 15, which is the first appearance of Spider-Man, that classic look. There's a classic Future Foundation Spider-Man, his stealth version, which is very cool. Classic Iron Spider. There's also a two-pack of the Renew Your Vows Spider-Man and Spinneret, which is so cute. And then a classic lizard in his sort of retro toy biz packaging. We talk about the retro style figures a bit next week as well, which is really fun. Plus MCU two pack of Ned and Peter and into the Spider-Verse Spider-Man Noir and who? Spider-Ham. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then there was a classic two pack of Venom and Null. And eagle-eyed viewers of the live stream may have seen some Galactus hanging out in the background. Hey. Hey, G. That's what I say whenever I see Galactus. And so you can find pictures and more info about all this over on Marvel.com. And you can watch the live stream on Hasbro Pulse's channels, the YouTube and all that good stuff. And again, join us next week for a really fun talk. Yeah. So with that in mind, in celebration of the 20th anniversary of Marvel Legends, What's your favorite Marvel Legends action figure? There's a lot to choose from. There's Build-A-Figures. We've recently got the Sentinel last year, which is the giant size one. We have Galactus coming. Galactus would, of course, be mine, but I don't actually have him yet, so I can't say for sure that he's my favorite. But yes, he's my favorite. I got to go with two Modocs and a Sugar Man because that's the best. We've got the Modoc Build-A-Figure from a couple years back, the most recent Modoc, and then the Rockabilly-ish Modoc that came out last year. And then Sugar Man is my favorite of the Build-A-Figures. He's so good. Lorraine, what about you? My all-time favorite? Well, obviously, it's my squirrel girl Mm -hmm. on her little scooter, and she has some squirrel friends with her. It's my absolute favorite. So you can tweet your answers of which Marvel Legends figure is your favorite using hashtag ThisWeekInMarvel. Email your answer to twimpodcast at marvel.com or send a message to our Facebook page at facebook.com slash thisweekinmarvel. Please make sure to always tell us it is okay to read on the show. Yeah. And last week we asked you folks, what is your favorite Squirrel Girl comic story? And we have some great answers here. First up, we have Randy Micah Smith at Randy S0725, who said, I love when Doreen met Ratatasker, the Asgardian squirrel goddess. Their shenanigans were so much fun. Wonder what's up with Squirrel Girl's friend these days. Well, funny 
You should ask. You should listen to the podcast. Also, Rachel is going to be on the podcast. Watch out. She's yeah, coming. Very cool. Cat at RBBTTNK says the Squirrel Girl versus Galactus story from the Unbeatable Squirrel Girl or just the entire Unbeatable Squirrel Girl series, plural, as they're both brilliant. I love that Galactus story. That was my pick from last week, too. It just like really set the tone for that whole entire series and what you were going to expect and learn about mm -hmm. her. And it is the best. Next up, we have Jaden at Jim Biscuits. Great name. The Unbeatable Squirrel Girl 2015. The whole series. The whole dang thing. All of it. You're not wrong. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Serbet, Serbet1 says, Great Lakes Avengers, Great Lakes X-Men. Loved those teams. Yeah, um, those are some great old school stories. You know, Squirrel Girl was introduced in that one little issue, you know, where she's like teams up with Iron Man and she's such a little joke in her little Harlequin makeup. And then they bring her into the GLA and she's so great. Those are some of the saddest stories too that are so funny, but then you'll be like, oh my God, God why did you hurt my feelings? Yeah. Oof. Rest in peace, Monkey Joe. Next up, we have Wolver Steve at Wolver Steve. Also a great name. Mm -hmm. This one, Squirrel Girl handing out some Smackdown to my main man, Wolverine. And it is, um, oh, this is when she was the nanny mm -hmm. for Luke Cage and Jessica Jones watching Danielle Cage. And she straight up fights Wolverine to protect him. And she kicks his butt. I just love her sweet little baby face kicking the butts. This is during the run of New Avengers by Brian Michael Bendis and Mike Diodato. Mm -hmm. And there was some like awkwardness between Wolverine and Squirrel Girl in like dialogue and scenes. And Ryan says they actually addressed that in the letters pages of Squirrel Girl. And there was like a money owed situation that they get into. And they, they he talks about it. He hashes it out. He Ryan's so smart about bringing in the continuity and connecting things and making it all make so much more sense. Joe Webb at Joe Webb 1 says, in issue number 11 or 001011, where she taught the binary number system, I was teaching high school AP <laughs> computer science at the time and showed that section of the issue with the programming class. It was very educational. It is educational. I love that, you know, something that tickles me that I don't think we really talked about with Brian, but Ryan went to school for computer science and he really <laughs> applied it. And you hear it also in the podcast. All right, next up we have Space Tardigrade at Lex Pendragon, who said, Best Squirrel Girl, Unbeatable number 40, ended a storyline that warmed my heart. It was a great example of how the bad guy isn't necessarily bad and stopping them doesn't make you good. You have to actually listen and be compassionate. And then the letters page, which has a very sweet letter. It's it's a letter from Lex's kids, Inara and Majel. We've heard from Lex over the years and from mm -hmm. Inara and Majel and them reading and stuff like that. It's super sweet. There you see Inara dressing up. It's just the best. It's so cute. She's wearing a little squirrel girl costume with little acorn earrings. Super precious. And Lex also continues on saying, woke up to having three copies of the Unbeatable Squirrel Girls new radio show preview in my podcast app. I listened to all three of them, even though they're <laughs> identical. This sounds awesome. Now I see why This Week in Marvel is all about Doreen next week. I'm so excited for this. I can't wait for my kids to wake up to play this for them. Lorraine, did you work on writing this? The happy, upbeat energy reminds me of you. Are you going to show up in here, please? Oh, um, I, I wish I had some great cameo for you. I don't, but... I definitely did work on it. And I have to say, I really loved working on this project. This was a pitch that came through from a brainstorming meeting. And Jill DeBoff, the head of audio, and I worked through this, this pitch. And, you know, before we attached Ryan, 
I got to really sit and add a lot to the series that I hoped would be in it. And luckily, Ryan was super into everything and really on board with all of the storytelling that we had kind of hope to put into the framework. And I'm so proud of this project. Obviously, I'm a huge Squirrel Girl fan. It meant a lot to me that Jill allowed me to work on this pitch with her and that we got to work on this entire series. So yes, there is a little a little hair of me in there somewhere. And if nothing else, it, it's red hair. I'm now going to petition for if we get a season two, Lorraine makes a cameo. Thank you again, Lex. And next up, we have an email from Grayson Woznesensky who said, Eat nuts, kick butts, translation, all of it. Um, you're not wrong. Yeah. We got an email from Jim who says, Lorraine, if you're ever in Southern Arizona, I'll be happy to host a Magic the Gathering draft or commander game because we were talking about Magic last week, which is cool. And then he says, Ryan, I got into following the X-Men when Adjectiveless X-Men launched with the gorgeous Jim Lee art. So my first X-Men event was Executioner Song. I remember <laughs> each week my friends and I would rush to the local comic shop to read the latest installment. Strife fighting Apocalypse was epic. I also love seeing the various X-Teams fight, debate, and band together to save the day. It still holds a very special place in my heart. I like this Jim character. He's very good, very smart. And so he continues <laughs> saying, my favorite Squirrel Girl moment would be early into Ryan North's run when Doreen and Tippy Toe meet Galactus. But special shout outs to Doreen's friendship with Craven and the excellent Aww. Shannon Hale prose novels. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Also, that's a really mm -hmm. great point. And I have to say, I am in the second Shannon Hale book. There is a squirrel named Lorraine Sink listed in the book. You're welcome. So <laughs> I do exist in the Squirrel Girl universe. I am... A squirrel. But yeah, those are actually really, really wonderful books. If you have a young person or an adult person who loves Squirrel Girl, but they are all ages appropriate, they're so wonderful and delightful. 10 out of 10 would recommend. Yeah. And yeah, if I'm ever in Southern Arizona, I will come play some Magic Gathering with you. I would love that. Those books are called The Unbeatable Squirrel Girl, Squirrel Meets World, and The Unbeatable Squirrel Girl, Too Fuzzy, Too Furious. Next up, we've got an email from William Rose that said, Hey, twim hosts. While I might not have a Squirrel Girl story in mind, I may have a shout out that wasn't picked up as of yet, especially if not in the newest Infinity comic starring Squirrel Girl herself. It was in issue three of X Corp where Sarah St. John's mentioned an upcoming technology talk called Squirrel Boss with Doreen Green. Oh, Squirrel Boss. I love it. I don't think any writer has picked up on it but should any fellow Marvel writer listen to this podcast episode and give some respect to Teeny Howard pre-order Knights of X, I think this important piece should expand more in a future story. Love it. Uh, they continue. In related news, Benedict Cumberbatch is returning to host SNL for the second time, just two days after the release of Marvel Studios' Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Plus, it's the second time he hosted SNL while promoting a solo Doctor Strange movie. That sounds like a tradition. Wait until the third solo movie and he'll someday make SNL history. Stay safe and don't call the exterminators for a termite problem. <laughs> They'll wreck the house down much more and excelsior. Yeah. All right. We've got one more email in here. It's from Nico Gorosica, who says, is it okay for 11-year-olds to listen to the Marvel's Wastelanders series of podcasts? This is a great question, Nico. We do say on those shows that it's intended for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. With that said, I think it's all subjective, right? Like how you want to share media with your 11-year-old may be different from me or anyone else. But these shows, they're probably like PG-13, if that helps. Yeah. So with that in mind, 
It's up to you. But I would say Marvel Squirrel Girl, the unbeatable radio show, is probably a great listen for an 11-year-old and an adult. An 11-year-old to an 11-teen-year-old. Yeah, 110-year-old. All right. This episode of This Week in Marvel is produced by Zachary Goldberg, Isabel Robertson, Lorraine Sink, and Ryan Panagos, with help from Rye Dorsey. Our senior manager of audio production and development is Brad Barton. Jill DeBoff is our director of audio. And special thanks to Tippy Toes Nuts. She holds on to her nuts all year long so you don't have to. Eat nuts, kick butts, Tippy Toes Nuts. Yeah, I'm Ryan. I'm Lorraine. This is Marvel. Your universe. Comics are cool, but what about bananas, baby? I'm going bananas for bananas. Get on your banana pajamas. Get on your banana boats. Ring, 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 banana phone. (laughs) Banana phone? Hello? It's a banana.